All right. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. We have, I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and we have some awesome guests here today. Um, Jeremy Eldridge is here from Hoyt. He's the marketing director at Hoyt or the marketing manager, Jeremy. Yeah, yep, exactly. I think it's about the same thing. And we we actually have a marketing director with us too. Uh, Kevin Wilkie is the marketing director currently at Kuyu. Um, And Kevin has a long history in the archery industry. Uh, Kevin, you started, I I first met you, you're a pro shop manager. Yeah, uh, I was working at the local archery Hoyt Pro Shop where I grew up, where I and I actually started out there as a, uh, as a staff shooter. I was like 15 or 16 years old. And is that right? Um, yeah, I was, I was shooting all the local three D's and they, I was in there enough that they, they kind of felt bad for me and helped me out getting a good deal on a few bows. And, uh, no, I, that's, that's kind of where I got my start with that shop. And, and that led to, um, working for Hoyt. I went to work, I, I, I ran that archery shop for about six years. And then I went to work for Hoyt for about 10. And then after that, I worked for uh, Vista Outdoor as a sales rep. I was selling uh, archery equipment there, arrows and, and stabilizers for Gold Tip and Bee Stinger. And then last better part, year and a half, I've been working for Kuyu. So that sounds like a lot of jumping around, but really I've only had, those are the jobs I've had. And uh no, I like. You know, let me out. let me ask you a question. Has there been anybody else on the planet that has followed you to every single company? <laughs> We've had this discussion. You, Alan Bolin, have been like a part of every career I've ever had. Like at Payson Sports, <laughs> you were like our favorite customer. Alan was always the guy we counted on. You were always coming into the shop. Um, and then when I went to work for Hoyt, you were uh, I was managing Hoyt's pro team at the time, and. You were on our pro staff, still are today. And I went to Gold Tip and you shot Gold Tip Arrows. So, and now I'm at Kuyu and you're, and you're one of the guys that do, does a lot of our testing and help us out with some content. And yeah, but you, you're like the one guy that's been a part of every job I've ever had. It's merely coincidence, buddy. I'm not stalking you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the two of you worked together for 10 years. Jeremy and yeah. and Kevin. Yeah. yeah. We shot together quite a bit back in the day um, at the Temp Archery Range. We yeah. It was before Jeremy worked at Hoyt and before I worked there. And uh, we we shot 3D together at the Temp Archery Range there in above Orem, Utah. Yep. Yeah. Every Tuesday, every Tuesday afternoon we'd go up for leagues, man. Your guys' team name was North of the Point, right? And and yours was I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> we were so smooth we were so good <laughs> that's great well so i'm i'm so excited to have the two of you on today because you're both so accomplished and one thing i i look forward to with hoyt bowhunting podcasts is that there is a tremendous amount of experience and credibility one of the things i'm really looking forward to about today is the two guests have so much credibility. I mean, Kevin has has competed at every level in archery, um, the world level. He has a, a couple of literal like world medals to his name. I believe you won a gold medal in Hungary. Is that right, Kevin? Uh, the gold medal is in Taiwan at the World okay. Games. Uh, the The World Games are held every four years, the year after the Olympics. Uh, but yeah, I made the team. 
for the 09 games and went over there and uh, brought home a gold medal. That's why I was working at Hoyt at the time when that went down. Absolutely. The year after is when I, uh, I made the world team again to compete at the world field championships in Hungary and ended up uh, silver medal there. It's amazing, Kevin. And, and so today we're going to, we're going to lean on your knowledge quite a bit and, and see what we can all gain from all of your experience. And Jeremy, you too, I mean, you, your life is archery. I mean, you work at Hoyt bow hunting. Yeah. I, I believe you're also very accomplished. I, if I remember right, you won Reading one year, like that's one of the biggest <laughs> shoots in the country. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Yeah. One year, uh, I won the open class at Reading, so I didn't go there with any anticipation of winning it, but, um, somehow at the end of the three days, <laughs> I had the high score in the open class and it's incredible, the guys. Trophy. So. incredible. So, you know, one of the things I, I love about the Hoyt bow hunting podcast is the guests have a lot of credibility and, and certainly today is a great example of that. So Kevin, I got to know, what does it feel like to stand on top of a podium that signifies you are the best, like number one in the world on planet earth. Number one. I, I just can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. I mean, it's really overwhelming when it happens. Like it's just a flood of emotion. And usually by the time you get to the podium, when you feel when it hits you is after that shot and you know, you've clenched it. That is when you feel it. And I tell you what, it's the same feeling I get when you drain a shot on a buck you've been hunting all year. It, it It's like the same feeling. I, I emotionally react the same when I, after I've shot my final arrow and I know that I've done it. Or if you know that you haven't, like the, the feeling is the same. Um, but once, it, once you've accomplished it and you're standing there and like hearing this Star Spangled Banner playing and like you just feel up. The, the air, the hairs on your arms stand up and along the back of your neck. And like, it, it's, it's, it's hard to put words to it for me. Like it's a feeling that I'll never forget. It, I can't just go and duplicate it anytime I want. Um, but it, it's, it's unreal. Like it, it's something, I mean, it, it's, it's similar to any other feeling you've had when you've accomplished something, but it just, it's not a foreign feeling. It's just, it just everything that you've done, all your hard work just rings true. And it just, it just feels great. Yeah. It feels fantastic. Well, you say you can't put words to it, but that was pretty dang good. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think I got goosebumps when, when I was listening to you there. So uh, that's, that's amazing, man. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to lean on that today and, and see what we can learn from you. And hopefully you're willing to share uh, Jeremy as well. So, um, you know, coming back to, to bow hunting, you know, um, you guys have heard, have you guys heard of the Pareto principle? Um, give it's us a okay reminder. If you haven't, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying to throw a loop at you, throw you for a loop here. So uh, the 80, 20 rule, the 80, oh, yeah. 20 rule. I've yeah. heard it called that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it's more commonly called. So, you know, Kevin, as somebody who's literally stood at the top of the world for a moment, you know, um, what do you guys see? You know, as far as the 80-20 rule, so everybody knows, is that 20% of the results come from, excuse me, 80% of the results come from 20% of the output. So in a business example, I'm a business guy, so 20% of the sales guys make 80% of the sales. From a marketing standpoint, maybe you guys would agree with this, that 20% uh, of the products produce 80% of the sales. 
Do you guys see that? That you know, if you look at your most popular products, there's about twenty percent that that really make a huge a huge uh, impact on the business. And in bow hunting, it's been said I've been I've heard many many times that twenty percent of the guys kill eighty percent of the big bucks. And so, you know, you guys being highly successful archers and highly successful in everything you do, both bow hunting and, and archery, do you see that phenomenon? Do you agree with that? Disagree with that? It yeah, seems like it applies. I, yeah, definitely. And I think with, with pro- professional archery, you see a big turnover, I think. Like you get guys that are, I'll use myself as an example, like you get hot, you get, you get the game figured out, you get some confidence and you're shooting really well and you're playing, you're, you're hitting the circuit, you're, you're traveling, you're doing all that. And, and that's when I did all my winning. And then time comes to raise a family or get a real job or other things kind of get in the way. You're no longer part of that 20% club. Like other guys roll in and take over. I see a huge, I mean, having played archery for, all these years, there's a handful of guys that have been consistent their whole career, but there's a high turnover of the guys right behind them or at the time being right ahead of them. So, Interesting. but, but at that given year, that given season, yeah, it, it totally applies. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah. I mean, what Kevin says about the professional side of archery is absolutely true. And then your question about on the bow hunting side, it seems like, the same, you know, you you know those handful of guys that year after year, they're putting their tag on a big buck, and then there's all the rest of us. And once in a while, we shoot a big buck, and then, you know, or, or shoot a big bull. But um, but there are those handful of guys that from year to year are just so consistent, and uh, <clears throat> it's interesting to think about what makes them that way. You know, is it is it where they're hunting? Is it how they hunt? Is it you know what, what is it that separates them from the rest of the rest of the bow hunters and allows them to be consistently killing big bucks year after year it's a great question jeremy so let's talk about it guys what do you guys think each of us let's name a couple of things i mean some guys just have a killer instinct like you you would love to just follow them on a hunt and see what they do they're they're you know what is it how do they hunt are they just sneaky? Are they just strategic? Do they just have a good spot? What What is it? You know, there's a couple of guys I just love to just, Randy Ulmer, for example, love to spend a hunt with him. What does he do? You know, no and I've heard stories and I've heard him talk and I know he goes to some pretty extreme measures, but I think some guys just have that killer instinct. They're going to do anything it takes. I think work ethic is a big one. Um, you know, we're, we're all three of us are living in Utah. So we're, we're probably all thinking to mule deer hunting and the amount of work that goes into, um, to put, putting down a giant mule deer buck. It, it is so much work. Like it takes, it's all the scouting, the glassing, the getting up at four in the morning and driving an hour and a half just so you can glass for 20 minutes. Like not too many guys I know have that kind of work ethic. Uh, that that's a big that's a big part of it. I, I think I think if you want to be good at scout or if you want to be good at hunting, you've got to you got to put just as much time into into scouting is probably more so than than uh, than actually like shooting side of the sport. Like you being a good shot will get you so far, but the work ethic you need during the preseason 
I think is what makes a difference for guys that are consistently killing big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the shooting has to come in somewhere though. I mean, at that, at that sure. final moment, you know, it like it all comes down to that one moment, all of that buildup of work. I remember, I remember thinking to myself one year after I, I had missed this elk, I remember thinking that I had probably spent a thousand hours preparing for that moment. And I missed and it was just that, I mean, it was kind of a depressing way to think about so things, deflating. but, but it was sobering too, to, to think about how important it is to be ready. And I've had seasons where I have the most dialed bow out there. Like I could hit anything, like put me on a, and I could not find a deer to save my life. Like I hadn't done the prep work to find a buck. I had all the skills in the bag to hunt one. I just didn't have one found. And it was a, the season skated on by and I didn't end up getting anything. I, I didn't scout. So man, right. it's a balance for sure. It goes both ways. I would have to put uh hand, you know, overcoming and, and managing your buck fever high on the list too. Uh, you know, a, a lot of great shooters miss when it comes to a live animal in a high pressure situation. And when, especially when it becomes kind of a rodeo, um, and that's one thing, you know, when, when you're stalking, if you can keep things under control so that you see them before they see you and all these different sort of techniques, because once they see you and then it's rushed in that rodeo, I, I call it a rodeo. Like when they see you and you know that there's limited time and there's all this stuff happening, that's when shots get rushed. That's when buck fever sets in and you can be the best shooter in the world. And if those emotions hit you, your, your, your technique falls apart. So, so what, I mean, uh, how, Jeremy, what do you think about shooting? Where does it, where does it rank in, in importance when it comes to being in that top tier of guys that are the most consistent? Um, I mean, I think it's obviously I'm an, I'm an archery guy too. So I think shooting is it's pretty critical, pretty important. Um, I just think you need to be comfortable with your bow so that when you're and, and confident with your bow, and it just needs to be, you need to have practiced enough that it's second nature when it, when that, when it comes time to make the shot, like you can't be thinking about a whole bunch of stuff about your shot. It just needs to be natural. Uh, and that just comes, I think from reps, just shooting enough, um, shooting in different scenarios, going to 3d shoots, you know, shooting at angles, shooting distances, shooting up, down third axis, all that. And this needs to become second instinct, check your bubble, anchor, squeeze, make the shot. So I think shooting, uh, to me, it's, it's high on the list in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I'd add to that, that, um, having a, a foolproof, I don't want to say foolproof, but just like a bomb proof shot process built in just a program that you follow for every single shot, whether, you know, I, I always say like it, whether I'm trying to champion my own backyard or a local match or shoot game, I try to follow the exact same process for that shot. And I think if, if as long as I keep myself on track and occupied um, with my four or five little tasks that I do to build a good shot, like it keeps other random thoughts from entering where I can just focus on what I have to do of driving home and making a fantastic shot. So Kevin, could you quickly go through your shot process? Uh, if, if, if it's, if it's something that you use in target archery and, and 
you know, all of your competitions and you use it in the field. That's, I mean, I, I want to know. Yeah. So this will be a lot of words to describe a few linked thoughts that I, that I have. So the, the first thing I, I do is I visualize what I want to happen. You know, I'm, I'm already to the point where I'm like arrow knocked looking at the target and I am imagining what I want to go down. Now, a lot of people get caught up on visualizing is thinking it's a complicated process. We naturally visualize things all the time. Now, um, let's say you're working on something at home, you're changing the oil in your truck or something, and you have a thought that you need a specific tool to complete your job. Like you need a 19 millimeter socket or a box end wrench, and you immediately visualize where that tool is in your toolbox and which one you need. And then you get up and you go grab it and you come back and you complete your task. While you were laying under your truck, looking at what you had to do, you visualize what tool you needed to complete the job. And it was just right. a quick random. It was just a quick thought. It wasn't random. You, you consciously imagined or pictured in your mind where that was and what you had to do to go get it. And when you went to go get it, you didn't even think about anything else. You just went and got the tool and you picked up right where you left off. So for me, visualizing is a lot like that. I matter of fact, like look at the target and like, that's where I'm going to hit. That's where I'm driving my arrow home. My pin is going to line up right there. The shot's going to break. And I just kind of visualize the whole thing in a matter of seconds. That's step number one for me. I get it in my mind of what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. Um, I was watching another example of visualizing the, in a natural form, because that's the way I like to think about things is the, the natural way of doing it and not trying to create a hard process to follow. I like to keep it simple. Um, I was watching a video. It was a, a jaguar that had caught an antelope and it had to drag it up a tree. This antelope has this, or the jaguar has the antelope by the neck. It drags it over the tree. And the first thing it did is it looked up the tree. It looked up and it saw where it had to get it to from point A to point B. And you can see it standing there. It's all breathing heavy. And I don't know who filmed this. I just remember watching it. Well, that Jaguar visualized what he had to do. He looked up the tree and he's like, all right, I got to do this, this, and this and jump up the tree and I can get my, my, my meal up in the tree safe and sound. Next thing he does, he grabs a hold of it and just, it seemed impossible. He made it like, I was just like, how the, how the heck is he ever going to get this thing up the tree? He just lunges up there and he drags it up and pulls it right into a spot and he's happy as could be. I'm like, that guy visualized that before he did it. And, and so that's, that's a huge first step, I think, is visualizing what you want to happen. So let me ask you way. just to, just, I know you, you spoke a lot about this already, but just to be clear, you're not visualizing the result. You're visualizing your part of the process. So I think I, I hear what you're saying is you're not visualizing the the arrow in the middle of the ten ring. You're yeah, visualizing like, you visualize that, but do you also or or do you visualize the sight window, what it looks like when you release, and then the crisp release and the follow through, and that process. It's like the start to finish process of drawing back, aiming the pin, arrow, you know, cutting it loose. How I'm how the how the release will go off. Like it's all pre-planned and seriously, yeah. guys, it takes just seconds. It's a thought is all that that window of time is. It's a thought, okay. positive thought. I'm not picturing missing. I'm not picturing holding low. I'm not, there are so many things that I'm not picturing. I'm only focused on what I want to happen. The positive right. outcome of it. 
And, and that's when you get determined. That's when you get like ultra focused, like this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And you know you can do it because you've done it before. Like you've, you've practiced it a thousand times. And so it just comes natural. Like you just think about it of how you want it to go down. You visualize it in your mind and um, go to the next step. So the next thing that I do is I consciously take, because at this time, like you're ramping up, like your adrenaline's pumping. And I try not to hold it back. Like most sports, like when you get that adrenaline rush, you get to use it with archery. You're trying to like, hopefully it doesn't come, but for me, it just always comes. So I just try to think about it in a good way. Um, your eyes will dilate. You can see a little bit better. You're stronger. Your muscles have got a little more blood in them. And I'm just, and I know I'm going to have a little bit more movement in my sight picture. I'm just going to expect it. I'm not going to try to stop it. But during those, that the next conscious thought, I take two conscious full deep breaths. That's what I'm thinking about is my breathing. So while I'm feeling those nerves amping up, I am like focusing on my breathing. I take two deep breaths that slows me down. That kind of clears my head a little bit. That allows what I just visualized to kind of sink in. And while I'm taking those two breaths, um, my next conscious thought leads into my anchor point. Now, I have a very specific feeling when I get to full draw. And I, and I think everybody does, you know, when everything's in the right position, like, and I'm just looking for that feeling, but that is my conscious thought. That's what my mind is kind of like geared towards is my anchor point of what it feels like to have everything in perfect alignment. So I'm going to be, my bow will be leveled. Like my elbows back, the weight of my bow is in, um, into my back, like my fingers on the trigger like every, and, and I'm touching my nose on the string, looking through the peak, all of that. Like there's a lot going on there, but all it is is a feeling that I'm looking for. And I know that feeling because I've practiced it a thousand times. So, so just to, to, to catch us up on like what takes like three, two, two and a half, three seconds. I visualized, I've taken two deep breaths and now I'm climbing into my anchor and I'm just making sure every, it checks all the boxes. Like everything feels great to that point. My next conscious thought, it changes from time to time, but it, it means all the same thing. Whether I'm, it's like a Carl Malone free throw power word that I'm throwing out there. Like you guys remember as a kid, like you watch Carl Malone shoot free throws and he always had his little power, secret power word that he's like using as he shot free throws. And maybe this is totally different than what he was doing, but that in my mind's eye, that's kind of what I think of. But I'm either like execute, drive it home, aim, whatever. Whatever it is, I've got to do to execute that shot. And then and the way I execute my shot is I is I I drive it home with the sight pin. So I'm basically preloading my trigger and my shot fires by where my pin alignment is. Um, Alan, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, but uh, I'm thinking about like as if my sight pin is a drill bit. And I got to bore a hole through my target. That is my simple way of while I'm practicing this execution method at home or on the blank bail or in practice, like that's how I think about it. I preload so my your pressure, your pressure increases as you're yeah. more yep. as toward at, the center and that pressure then causes the release to go off. Yep. So as I'm, as I'm aiming the bow and I'm dropping the pin into the target, I'm not like pushing my bow arm hard forward and I'm not pulling into the release super hard. It's just, it's really, kind of a finesse thing where I'll preload the trigger 
And as my pin comes into the target, I am maintaining strength going forward with my bow arm. And you won't see me move or anything. Like my bow arm doesn't move when I'm doing it. But that steady forward motion of, of driving that pin into the target is what fires my shot. And, and before I do it, I just I don't think about all those little steps or all those words I just said or the, the drilling a hole into the target analogy. I just think about the word execute or aim. And as I'm pushing the bow forward, driving it home, like with just as much determination as I've got in me, that's what fires my shot. It's like you cut the rope when it's tight. That arrow, the release, you know, my, my release hand comes back to a nice natural follow through. My bow arm extends forward towards the target. The arrow leaves the bow. And that's how I get my shots to break while I'm aiming. Well, Kevin, it definitely sounds like you've thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta and say. I've explained no, it to the guys enough times, like, and I've, I've, this is how I, I like to teach people how to shoot because it, it's the simplest way for me. And guys, don't get me wrong. Like, I know there's a lot of amazing archers that out there that have their own method. This is my method. You guys are asking me how I do it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying everybody should do it the Wilkie way. Like, this is my way. This is what works for me. And this is what's um, given me the success that I've had. Now, I think if, if one thing that people could pull from the way I do it is to make a plan of exactly how you're going to do it for every single shot. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I'm just guessing, knowing Jeremy, that he has a, a bit simpler pre-shot routine than that. Is that Would that be right, Jeremy? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's different. It's a bit simpler, but it's, it's funny because I just got a new site. I got the, I, I'm trying out the Garmin Zero. And that added a tiny little element to my sequence of events that, and it's, and, and I'm having a hard time adjusting. Interesting. Only thing different is I have to hit the trigger. I've never had that before, right? None of my other sites have ever been a range finding site. So it's funny. You would think, oh, yeah, you just hit the trigger and everything else is the same. But having that one little interruption, to my sequence is throwing me for a loop right now. I just need to get more reps and get that figured out. But it just shows like Kevin's had his system for a long time. I've had my system for a long time and introducing one thing different. It's, it's causing me to like, I've got to, I need to get some serious reps behind this new site to have that extra step of hitting the button and having the site turn on and range. You know, that's now part of my shot sequence and it hasn't ever been. And so it's, uh, it's interesting how hard it is for me to get used to that. So, um, yeah, we anyway, get so used to things. I mean, has anybody on this call ever switched from a, a 20 yard first pin to a 30 yard first pin? <laughs> that's, that's one reason I haven't. That's a nightmare. Yeah, that's exactly. a nightmare. It took me a couple of years and a couple of missed shots to, to get that through my thick skull. But yeah, it's any little change. So Kevin, I gotta, I gotta ask you though. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here. So I, I hear four, four steps. Yeah, there's kind I, of five because at the end of it, I evaluate how it all went down. Oh, so, okay. Just so to feedback. recap. Yep. I, I visualize. These are my conscious thoughts, and you, and, and, and the way you said, ask Jeremy his. Like I feel like you think my my process is super complicated. But seriously, it's just a few linked thoughts together while I'm kind of subconsciously doing everything else. No, I don't think that yours is super complicated. I just know Jeremy, and Jeremy likes things like 
I think pretty straightforward. I just, the conversations we've had, I I could just see him not taking 20 minutes to describe his shot process. I just, (laughs) I mean, give me the five, five just like with their short names so that we can like put it. The short name of each one. So I visualize, breathe, anchor, execute, and then evaluate or follow feedback or whatever you want to call it. But I, I just evaluate, how did that go down? Like what happened? Like, what do I do, got, what do I need to do on the next one? Um, and then it just starts over. It's just a loop. I run that loop on every yeah. single shot. Have so those the, and within execute is aim and increase pressure and release. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm executing the shot. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, I, and, that would be way too many to even break that down further. But that's so visualize, breathe, anchor, execute, and then assess. I like that. So let me ask you this and, and, and hit me super honestly here. Have you been able to transfer this into bow hunting to transfer those five steps into like, you've got, you know, the, the animal you're after you've completed that stock. And let's say, let's say the animal's unaware. And, and you're just, you know, just because I, I think things are different, you know, when, when things get aware, you might have to speed things up. But are you able to pull that off? Yeah, I, I mean, do it all the time. Not all the time, but yeah, I, I do it. And there's other times like my nerves betray me and they get the best of me, but somehow I still pull it <laughs> off. Like, right. Uh, but yeah, there, there's been times that I've like, I, oh man, I'm thinking back like, so here in Utah, you can buy an over-the-counter spike elk tag every year. It's just a freezer filler for us. Like, for you Midwest guys, you guys go out and hammer a bunch of whitetail does. Like, we go out after our spike bull or, or cow elk. And I was sneaking in on this spike bull, and I remember thinking, like, all right, just make the best shot you've ever made on an animal in your life. And I got up there, and I folded up like a cheap suit, man. Like, <laughs> I hit him, but I, I'm glad I like got a good follow-up shot on him. But because my first shot was not good, like it backfired big time. Like I don't know what I did wrong, but it just it didn't go well. But yeah, I got the elk. But it, but there's been a lot of times that it's gone fantastic, and I, it's like I don't even. It comes second nature that process, so I don't even have to think about it. And oftentimes, am I looking for a pure? perfect form back tension style release on a moving animal. No, like, I don't know if it's just ingrained in me, but I'll touch it off when it needs to go. Like, right. But I'm still, that's part of my execution. That's part of driving it home. Like the fact that I've quote unquote punched the trigger on an animal to get it out of the boat quick and get it done. Like, yeah, I've done that and all, and I'm, and I'm not saying I won't ever do it again, but like I do what I got to do to get the job done on a moving animal. Sometimes, for me, that's the way I've got to execute the shot to get it to get the arrow there. Yeah, you know, just standing there, dead still, not doing anything. Yeah, I'll I'll pull through the shot like I do on any target. Right. You know, I've got several friends in the bow hunting community that they're just absolute killers. Like, I mean, these guys, like Jeremy talks about the killer instinct. Like, these guys got it, and and they produce constant they're definitely in that in that 20 percent that that if, if it is 20 percent, but they're in that top tier of guys that produce all the time yet i've shot with them you know and if we were shooting a vegas target i mean these guys couldn't shoot a 280 if their life depended on it but they've become tremendously 
proficient at hitting a tenant circle in high volatile pressure situations. Tremendously proficient. In fact, I don't know if perhaps you know they're better at hitting a tenant circle in these volatile situations than somebody who can pull a 900 in Vegas. I don't know. Like I, I question sometimes they've got something going on there, but I do think it comes back to a process. They've got some type of process there that helps them not let their nerves take over and all these different things. Like the things you're talking about there, that's what they do. And, and everybody's is a little bit different. Mine's very simple. Mine is, uh, mine is hold the release on the edge and pull through. That's all I think. Hold the release on the edge and pull through. And, and it works for me. But, but um, what do you guys think? Have you guys met guys like that? Who, they don't shoot that well at a target by those standards. Yet, when there's an animal-sized vitals in front of them, and they're going to they're gonna kill that animal. Have you seen that before? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, and a lot of those guys, they, they claim that. Like, they're like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm good at shooting animals, and I'm, I'm probably not that good of a shot on paper. And then I'll, I'll get them out and shoot a field round with them. I'm like, dude, you're really good. Like, like I took a Brendan Burns, um, chief hunting officer, Hoyt guy, um, absolute slayer. Like the guy is just deadly. Um, where we work at Kuyu, there's a range like 20 minutes, the Yolo Bowman there in uh, just out of Dixon, California. There's a pretty, really nice field course there. And he was telling me the whole time exactly what you just said. Get a tenant. I'm, I'm just trying to hit that football-sized vital on the side of an animal. That's all my focus is. And obviously, he gets it done. Well, I took him out to shoot a field round, and he's never shot one in his life. The guy dropped, like, three points on a field half. Wow. Like, <laughs> 28 targets, and he dropped – or um, 14 targets, and he dropped, like, three or four points. Like, the guy can shoot. Um then I've shot with some other guys that are absolute killers that are just, they kill big bucks every year. And I, and I, when I'm done, I'm walking away and I'm like, I don't know how you do it, dude. Like, I don't know how you've killed all this deer because that was not impressive. Like I, I'm not one to make fun of the way another guy shoots. And this was all just kind of like keeping it to myself. Like, wow, that guy's a hell of a hunter because what he just did on the 3d range wasn't all that great. Like he must be good at getting close and getting it done. What do you think, Jeremy? Um, You know, I agree. I agree with Kevin. And there's those guys that just, you know, that, that, I don't know. They're not interested in tournament archery. They're not interested in shooting paper. They like 3D because it's the closest thing to hunting. And, but when they shoot 3D, they're not interested in the 10 ring. They're just interested in the kill, you know, and you go to the, the, the Friday night pig shoots up the canyon or whatever, you know, local tournament we have up there. And they're just there to practice killing. They're not there to, to practice winning anything. They're just there to practice killing. And so it's just a different mindset and uh, it's not right or wrong. It's just a different mindset. You know, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been uh, in bow hunting situations where I wished I had Kevin's skills. You know, I remember like sitting there in, in a, in a, like the shot is really tough and I'm sitting there and the animal's bedded and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can make this shot. You know, I got to reposition. I got to do something. If I were Kevin Wilkie, I think I could make this shot. So I, I think there definitely is something to having all of that confidence in that really difficult shot. Um, 
what what kind of things you know you know we we talk about the 80 20 rule since that came up earlier um i i think that when it comes to becoming good at something when when there's all these different factors that come into that at the end of the day 20 percent of those factors are going to be the most important you know I, i'll give you an example i once found myself researching boots for 18 hours in a week. I spent 18 hours researching new boots. And and I actually thought, I'm like, Alan, what are you doing? If you had spent that 18 hours running and shooting and doing the things that would get you ready for this hunt, you'd have been way better off because those boots, it's not going to matter. Like I could have chosen any pair of boots and been relatively the same. So there's a lot of factors that come into success. What do you guys think? I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about shooting now. So I, I think we've kind of, you know, migrated down that, that path, which makes sense since we've got two incredible archers on the call here. What are the, the, the 20% that makes the most difference when it comes to shooting to make the most difference for a guy in the field? What do you guys think? I know you guys were probably expecting me to say like bow tuning would be like one of the top things. I think just have an overall sound setup. You know, the performance is built into these bows. It's built into the arrows we shoot. It's built into the veins. Like I think if you, as long as you have a good combination of everything and everything's relatively lined up, like the you got to make sure your in. broadheads are flying straight. Yeah, I mean, that's like, like a basic thing. Right. But, but beyond like, that, like the gains are minimal. Once you get everything basically lined up, you're getting a fairly good paper tune. I see more guys wait. What I'm trying to say is I see more people wasting time, like getting their bow, like super absolutely dialed, like just getting into the weeds as far as what matters and what doesn't like uh, shot placements. Number one. And, and what I think guys get off it, it, on in the weeds on is like FOC and broadhead diameter and, like you name it, man, it's just a different fad every year of what guys are getting into. But if you just stick to like the core principles of good arrow flight and good form and like just be well-rounded and all that, like your, your shots are going to take care of themselves. Like the performance is built into the bow. And like I said, I'm sure everybody was expecting me to say, you've got to go out with like, and I, and I do it. I fall into that trap where I've wasted more time tuning a bow than I should have been out glassing or spotting. But if your focus is hunting, get your bow dialed. Like, but it, it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. Like back in the day when I was a kid, it, it had to be like when bows weren't as good or arrows were, I, I don't know. It just seemed like you had to spend a lot more work getting broadheads to fly back in the day than you do now. Like I can have a bow shooting broadheads in a matter of minutes. Like, yeah, it's, you get a good paper tune and you're, you're good to go. Like, so, so you're saying Kevin, that tuning is important, but don't take it, you know, to the level where it be, you, there's be a, a diminishing like returns. Alan, yeah. Don't be into tuning. Like Alan Boland was into boots. Like that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But would you put, would you put a relatively decent tune somewhere in that top 20%? Of course. Yeah. Like yeah. all those guys are getting good arrow flight. Guarantee right. you that. Like, yeah. Okay. Jeremy, what do you think? Uh, let's go through a few things. I'm sure Kevin has more things he'd put in that 20%, but let's hear one from you. Um, you know, I think a, a good release is pretty important to me. Like there's some really cheap releases out there with a ton of trigger movement. And it just seems like it's a recipe for disaster. If you got a bunch of trigger movement, you can't target panic, anticipate the shot, everything that 
shouldn't happen if you're going to shoot good consistently. So for me, I think a good release that has a good crisp trigger um, so that, you, you know, you're not having to, to have tr- trigger travel. And uh, I don't know, to me, that makes a big difference. Just having a good release that, you know, you it's, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain, but you just want that glass break trigger where it's just consistent and yeah. you don't have to anticipate the movement of it. Um, I've seen guys just struggle because their trigger just moves so much and they're just anticipating the shot and the, they start to squeeze. And before they get, you know, before they pull their trigger far enough because it travels so much, they've come off target and start panicking. And so I don't know. I think a good release uh, is pretty important to being a good shooter. Yeah, I agreed. You know, you know, Jeremy, I, I have a 135 pound spring in my Carter quickie. Have you seen that before? <laughs> yeah. You have to That's... special order this spring, yeah, but it's very crisp. I mean, there's no travel, but it just allows like where you can really load up and, 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 and get it on the edge of engaging your back fully. And you actually can't punch it because your, str- your finger isn't strong enough. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like a really sensitive trigger is the same, gives me the same problem as a trigger that travels a lot. Cause you don't want to touch it. You don't right. want to get your finger near oh, it. Oh man, I'm so the part complete of, opposite of you guys. Part of my shot right. sequence is to get my finger like wrapped around. Cause I shoot a, an index That's finger I for hunting. I wrap it around and I'm not worried about it going off. And then I start my sequence. That's exactly how I shoot Jeremy. That's great. Yeah. Kevin and you, you like touching it off, right? Well, I, like I said earlier, I drive it home with my sight picture. Like my, the expansion of strength to of my bow arm to my release is what fires my shot. So I, I was really surprised. I, I weighed my trigger. I've got a, a, a trigger scale, Timney trail uh, trigger scale used for, you know, I, I shoot competitive rifle as well. And I've always used it to, I always set my rifle triggers at like uh, 10 to 12 ounces and I, when I went to weigh my release, I shoot a Carter quickie as well, like you. I was expecting it to be like a pound and a half or two pounds or something. It's like seven ounces. And Whoa. but I shoot <laughs> light on the tip of my finger. Like I use a ninety degree trigger press. The center, like the tip of your finger, I go dead center between those, and I put that ninety degrees to the face of the trigger. And it doesn't feel light to me. Like I've just gotten used to it. I preload it and I drive the rest of it home with, with, uh, with my sight picture. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the total other end of you guys. I don't wrap around. I just put the tip of my finger on there, apply a little pressure and I'm not just waiting around to make it go off, but I, I, I just drive it home is the way I think about it. I make it execute. Oh, that's uh, cool. Super cool. Uh, so what do you guys think? What else, what else falls into this 20% of, of, critical things to make you shoot well for hunting. I just think like some guys naturally handle the pressure, like they thrive on it. Um, I know we've talked about like how to like a process to help you manage the pressure. I think some guys are just naturally born with like the tenacity to, to make just to be under high pressure. Like, and, and I don't know that I've always been that guy. I'm not, I'm not trying to make the claim that I'm, that like the first year I ever bow hunted, I missed over 25 deer Wow! and I was horrible. That's what got me into shooting com- competition because I know that's what would help me. And so I learned to shoot my bow under, like I learned to shoot my bow under pressure at competitions. So when I felt the pressure, 
of shooting an animal, it didn't feel foreign to me. That's what I hear all the time. Guys will tell you, like having worked in an archery shop or working at a trade show, you hear everybody's hunting stories. And I love it. Like, it's cool. Like my job throughout my whole career is I've had to listen to a lot of hunting stories. And when, when you're sitting there listening to them, I always ask people like, so what went through your mind as you killed that big buck or that you shot that big bull or you got this done? Like, and, and sometimes there's stories they missed. And, and usually the guys that say they mess, they, they say that they, they felt like they'd never shot a bow before. Like it felt like the adrenaline rush felt foreign to them. Like, like I felt like, I was shooting left-handed all of a sudden, like nothing worked. And it's, it's because they've never developed a process to get them through those situations. So if, if you can't handle the pressure, I suggest, I don't, for me, what I helped me get over is, is shooting tournaments, shooting matches, um, you know, having a little bit of competition online. I'm not saying you need to go pro or, but just make sure you've got something on the line when you are shooting, make sure every shot counts um, I, I think the, the fun round is what they call it. You go to these archery shoots and they just, Oh, I'm just shooting for fun. I think you're doing yourself a disservice. I think, you know, making whether, even if you're just shooting with your buddies, like you don't have to shoot competition, but like shoot for something. Shoot like, for dollar bills. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I found it, you know, the, interestingly, um, you know, and I, I shoot a lot of archery and I've, I've been, you know, bow hunting for 25 years and I like, it's my life. Right. And, but I, I don't, I haven't in the past until this last winter, I don't shoot through the winter cause I didn't really have a place to do it. And I, whatever, I just wimped out. I travel a lot for business and excuses, excuses, but I start shooting like in May, you know, the hunts coming in August and it takes me two months, two months of shooting nearly every day to get to where it clicks. And I feel like I'm shooting well. It takes me two months. And so, I mean, if I had to name one thing for guys to, to increase the, the, their chances, it's start, it, start early. Start early. And if you can shoot year round, because I did that this winter, it's unbelievable. Now, like I, day one of the summer, I'm just, I'm, I'm killing it, right? And so I, I think, well, what's going to happen from here? I'm going to get better instead of get to where I want to be, you know? So um, practicing, you know, I, I think a, a lot of people tend to pull their bow out you know, pretty close to the starting of the season, you know, a couple weeks, you know, three weeks before the season, whatever, they pull their bow out and start practicing. I don't feel it's enough time I, to, to put yourself in the best position. You guys got any thoughts on practice? Like how, how often do you guys practice? When do you start before the season? Uh, I typically have to have a little bit of pressure on me to want to practice. Like, I, I thrive on the pressure of shooting. And so that's what makes me want to shoot. always that way though, Kevin? I mean, it might be like, you're just so used to it. Like you've, you've, you've shot probably who knows a hundred thousand arrows. I don't even, who knows. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's always been the excitement of the hunter. The excitement of a competition is what gets me going. Like, okay. Something that's coming up gets me going. If there's nothing coming up, man, I won't, I won't shoot. I'm going to be on Like I'm being honest here. Like I, I just, I can't go out and practice for the sake of practicing. Like something has to be coming up or, or I won't, or well, I won't. With you, isn't something always coming up? Like this year with, with COVID, like a lot of the tournaments have been canceled. Um, and conveniently, like 
not conveniently, but like I'm overcoming a shoulder injury and I'm, I'm a hundred percent right now, but that hit during all the tournaments that I'm normally shooting. So I was able like just to heal and shoot a few arrows here and there. But now that my shoulders healed, like I, I love shooting again. Like it's, it's been a lot of fun getting back into it and with the hunts coming up, like, yeah, I've got a lot of fire in the belly right now. Right on. It's been good. Jeremy, when do you start? How often do you practice? Um, well, I mean, being in the industry, there's, seems like there's always something to kind of get ready for. You come out of winter time and you got redding coming up and you're anxious to get outside and start shooting. So you shoot, you get ready for redding. Uh, and then for me anyway, I, I probably take a little break and then, you know, you get to summer and there's 3d shoots, total archery challenge, whatever. And you start getting ready for that. And that pretty much leads you right into the bow hunt and you just kind of keep shooting. So I think in the winter time, I kind of definitely take a break, just get busy. And, and at least, you know, with my job, I travel going to shows. And so I don't shoot as much as I should during the winter, but then, then when spring, I, there's always something for me to kind of keep me shooting through the season. Right. And then the closer I get to the hunt, the more I'm shooting. Obviously, you kind of cram it at the end. Yeah. Do you guys have any uh, techniques you can share that that help sort of simulate a, a real bow hunting situation? I mean, I think it's just the, the shots that you're practicing. If you're just shooting in your backyard every day at 20 yards flat ground, I mean, that's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong but it's rarely going to happen like that on the bow hunt. So I think those, the, you know, the weekend 3d shoots, local tournaments, the total archery challenges where you get a shoot, you know, side hills and work on remembering to look at your third axis bubble and shooting uphill, downhill, all that kind of stuff for me is makes me feel way more confident going into the season that I've had a chance to shoot all those different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I remember I went through this, this phase. Well, actually it came up, I was shooting at this, uh, this little 3d target that had this oval insert and I'd put it at 50 yards and had this small oval insert and I'd see how many arrows in a row I could put inside the oval. And after a while I realized I'm just aiming at that oval. I can see it. And what good is this doing, man? I might as well just put an orange dot out there and shoot at it. So I kind of went down this rabbit hole of shooting at targets that you cannot see any lines or inserts or anything like that. I, I even, um, I, I bought a target and I took like painters caulking and I like caulked every line on it, like sanded it. And then I painted it. <laughs> I painted it Brown. It was like the, it looked almost, almost real. And, but I, I it got rid of a little bit of that. And then I, and I started using solo targets, which are the flat, you know, pr- 3d or uh, HD printed targets. But there's something about that too. I, I think that was a step for me. Um, aiming at something that didn't have any marks on it. And I had to pick a spot as if I were aiming at an animal. I felt an, like, honestly, that, that was a, a, a turning point for me when I, I started doing a lot better at, at making my shots in the field, um, aiming at things with no marks. Cause that's a big difference. I mean, anybody can shoot an orange, not anybody, but a lot of us can get it, get good at shooting orange dots, but take those marks away, add a little adrenaline it's a different ball game. Have you guys felt that? I like to be, I don't know. I, I, I try to be really well-rounded in what I'm practicing on coming up to the hunts, just so I can, regardless of what the situation is, I can adapt and shoot it. Whether it's a spot, I'll, I can hit it. Whether it's a blank target, I can hit it. 
if I got to pick out a little tuft of hair on the animal and it's happened to be in the right spot, yeah, I'm going to pick it out. If it's just blank, smooth hair, like it's hard to pick a spot. Like I, I try to go through and practice every scenario I can. If, if you're struggling, if you're really good on a 3D, but you're struggling on aiming at a spot, you might want to focus on that. If you're really good at targets, but blank targets are hard to, you know, get an arrow where you want it to land, it, you, you might want to take Allen's approach. And, and I think whatever you're struggling with is what you should be working on. Yeah. Yeah, that makes I sense. Think the hardest one to practice is probably moving targets, which I typically don't like to take. Um, you know, but sometimes that's all you've got. Like a walking by slow. I'm not going to take a shot at a running deer. I know guys do, but you know, you got to kind of find your limit and, and figure out what you got to do to push that edge to where when you step out on the field, when it's, when it's time to hunt, like nothing's going to come to you at a surprise. You've got the been there, done that feeling like whatever situation you've got, you're going to, you're in the zone, man. You're going to be able to do it. So about the moving targets, Kevin, have you been able to practice that? Um, so there was a 3d, it's been a while ago. They had like a garage door opener on the ground, like motor on the track. And they had a 3d target on it. I hired my neighbor kid. I, I took a rope and tied it to the 3d and I just had him dra- like, he was a safe distance away and he would drag it across the, the range and I would shoot at it. But yeah, like you got to get creative, whatever you're struggling with. I, I, I think the guys that are really good at it, all these games, whether it's hunting or 3D, like they, they pull out all the stops, man. They, they do whatever it takes. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. The garage door thing. I hadn't thought of that. I'm not going to build one. Like I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I'll why hire not? another neighbor kid if I have to. <laughs> I've got kids of my own that can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else we're missing here, guys? I mean, you know, if, if you're, you're, you're talking to a good friend just getting into bow hunting, what would you tell them the most important thing to become a good shot at an animal in pressure situations? It's going to be a combination of everything. Like, you've got to be well-rounded. It's not just being good, proficient at one thing. That's what makes hunting so fun is you've, you've got to be good at a lot of different facets of it to be able to, to bring it home. Um, I would, I would rather be lucky than good any day. Like I know some guys that they get lucky that shoot their deer out of camp every year. I I don't know, but I, I I just think, I don't know. You use the tools that we're given. Like you've got a nice bow, you've got a nice, you've got all this at your fingertips, make sure it's all dialed in. And then you've got to be dialed in yourself. So whenever I'm, talking tuning with anybody it's you got to have yourself in tune your bow in tune and your arrows in tune you know if you get all three of them tuned together you'll be deadly no doubt about it and then couple that with some really good scouting or some hard work in the off season like knowing or you know a lot of it's a drawing good tags but regardless of what tag you've got like do whatever you've got to do for that hunt to be successful yeah so kevin a little harder Tell us a story, Kevin, of a time where your shooting ability and all of the time, the blood, sweat, and tears that you've invested into becoming a great archery shot. When has that paid off for you in the field? Um, I I think uh, one of the most memorable 
hunts I had. It was a few years back and it was on, I had a, I had a decent elk tag here in Utah and I had to kind of just, it was like he, this bull had bedded down. It was in a burn wide open, um, getting into him. Like I had to belly call, crawl through grass to, to even get into position. So I had to belly crawl for like a hundred yards, just through the thorns and the thistles. And I just kept picking my way down through this burned timber and he was bedded on the edge of, of some burned timber. He had all of his cows with him. So I had like, I had like 20 cows and one big bull all just like right in front of me in my lap. And it just all come together. And after a difficult stock that took me almost two hours without any water to get up on him, I, the, the closest I could really get without running out of cover or having all of his cows peg me was 57 yards. And I'm just getting scorched by the sun. And luckily so was he. So he finally, he stands up out of his bed and I draw back and I put a really good shot on him, hitting him a little, little bit low, like 10 ring. And he came right to me, but like the shots and I, and I shot him again, like he come right to me, like three feet, like just handling the pressure of watching a bull walk right at me from 80 yards out because he looped around and he stopped at 80 and he like, normally they run off and do their thing. Like he just happened to run to me, not knowing I was there. He had no clue where I was even at, but watching that bull go from 80 yards step by step to end up shooting him again at like, I bet you my arrow barely left the bowstring before it hit him. Oh and I just watch it. Just, just like, it took me, it took me like a few days to process how that all went down. It was so raw and it was just so real. Like it just, like, I just looked back like, wow. I mean, so many guys could have folded up like, but I didn't, I didn't really think about it, what other guys would have done. It was just, it all came together at one time to where all of my practice scouting or all my, all the time I spent scouting all the time shooting. Like I never had to think about anything. It just comes natural to you. And that's, that's an when, incredible story. When was it? What year was that? That was 2016. 16. So take that experience and compare it to standing on the podium in Taiwan. Which one gave you a bigger <laughs> rush? I don't know. Like looking back on them, they're, they're both very meaningful to me, but like the tournament win is, is more meaningful. But at the time, like I like in Taiwan, right before the gold medal match and even during it, it took forever. Like it was four <laughs> targets we had to shoot and it was over the course of like eight hours. It took oh forever. I bet I had to get up and go pee every, every 15 minutes. Like when I get nervous, <laughs> I have to pee a lot. Like, so that so the oak itself, was, the like, oak that was a little was more fast paced. <laughs> that was probably a little more nerve wracking and just more drawn out than that. But it's like they're, they parallel one another. No doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. I mean, we're talking, you know, a, a world gold medal and it's somewhere in the vicinity of an elk hunt and, and a, and a close encounter and a three, three foot shot. I mean, that's that. I mean, that speaks highly of actually both events. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, guys, I, you know, this has been a great talk. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I've personally taken a lot from it. You guys are, are, uh, excellent archers and hunters and, uh, the words of wisdom will 
will stick stick with me and I'm sure everybody listening to uh, to this podcast. Thanks a lot for your guys' time and uh, we'll catch up soon. Right on. Thanks, guys. Thanks.